Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am grateful for you. Glad you're joining me here on the Bible in Life. My heart, my goal behind this podcast is to really help all of us follow Jesus more fully and more deeply, and to do so by providing down-to-earth Bible teaching content, Bible teaching content that's connected to everyday life, that's in the language of everyday life, so you and I can follow Jesus right in the midst of everyday life. So that's what we're all about here on The Bible in Life. And in addition to this podcast, uh, maybe you already know this, maybe you don't, I have a second podcast that's really aimed at being like a commentary on the New Testament. If you're Uh, familiar with commentaries. Normally, they're books, right? They're usually big, thick books that just kind of walk through the details of the uh, book of the Bible, kind of paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, explaining what's going on in that book of the Bible so that you can really understand it. Well, the fact is, so many people don't read commentaries that those commentaries tend to be um, really things that pastors and scholars read, but no one else does. But a lot of people want to learn the Bible. So I started a, another podcast where I'm essentially creating that sort of thing, going through Bible books piece by piece, bit by bit, in the same sort of style as this, in the language of everyday life, to help people really understand the Bible. Uh, and so that's called the Listener's Commentary. You can find it on your podcast player. You can go to the website, listenerscommentary.com. Maybe some of you already listened to both this podcast and that podcast. Here's the thing. The reason I'm bringing it up right now is that the Listener's Commentary just turned two years old. I actually started it almost two years after the Bible and Life podcast launched. And so it's just turning two years old in the month of April. And uh it is actually get, gets more downloads than the Bible and Life podcast does. It's uh, impacting people all around the world. Uh, and people are using it. Pastors are using it to prepare for sermons. People are using it to prepare for Bible studies. People are using it for their own personal Bible studies, listening to it in the morning as they uh, do their devotions and read the text. And so it's really grown and really taken off, and it's having a birthday. It's two years old, and I wanted to celebrate the listener's commentary, how well uh, it's doing and how the Lord has blessed it, as well celebrate its two-year-old birthday. And here's how I wanted to do that, is if... You on this podcast or uh, anyone else, right, like just wants to uh, set up a monthly recurring donation to my ministry. If you've been impacted by my ministry in any sort of way and have been thinking about praying about supporting it, this is a great time to do it because for the month of April, April 2022, uh, anybody who sets up a recurring monthly donation, I will give free access to the Listener's Commentary Study Hub. So along with the audio, which is totally free on your podcast player, if you want more than the audio, you want uh, pictures and background data and charts and uh, links to other resources that I find helpful or valuable so you don't have to just go hunting all over the internet when you're studying a Bible passage or a Bible book, that's what the study hub is for the listener's commentary. It's, It's a central location to help you study through books of the Bible. So 
If you set up a recurring monthly donation this month in the month of April, I will give you free access to the Listener's Commentary Study Hub as well. So the link to where to set up the donation is down in the notes below. It goes through World Family Mission, which is a ministry partner with me. And, and so you it'll take you directly to the place where you can set up your uh, your monthly donation, you'll put in whatever amount you want to give, and there's a little box that says make this a monthly uh, donation. You just check that little box, becomes a recurring donation, and then um, once I get the, the notification that you've set up that donation, I will send you a thank you note with a link where you can access the study hub for free. All right, so if you've been thinking about doing it, this is a great time to do it. All of that's just to celebrate what God is doing through the listener's commentary and really through this whole online Bible teaching ministry. All right, here's what I want to deal with or explore and reflect on with you in this particular episode of The Bible in Life. I preached um, recently at a church here in town uh, that is going through the book of James, and I was tasked with preaching just two and a half short verses out of James chapter 5, right at the end, uh, two verses that are all about the power of prayer. Um, and I would hazard to guess if I could sit down with you uh, and have a face-to-face -face conversation and ask you, man, do you, do, you, do you believe God answers prayer? You would say yes. Um, have you heard, right, that that? Uh, prayer is powerful, or prayer makes a difference in the world, prayer changes things, you'd probably say yes. And so this passage, in some ways, is pretty, pretty simple and pretty clear. And yet, I think there's something for us to re reflect on out of this passage, because the reality is, though we believe prayer is powerful, though we believe God answers prayer, if we are honest we would have to admit that God doesn't always answer prayer, right? And I know Christians say things like, well, yeah, God always answers prayer. It's just that sometimes his answer is yes, sometimes his answer is no, and sometimes his answer is wait. I've heard that so many times. But the fact is, when you or I say, God answered my prayer, when we say that, what do we mean? God did what we asked him to do. God didn't just hear our prayer, he granted our request. So when we say God answered my prayer, we mean God did what we asked him to do. And God doesn't always do that, does he? If we're going to be honest, God doesn't always do what we want him to do. But look at this passage out of the end of the book of James, James chapter 5, picking up in verse 16, right in the middle of the verse, it says this, the effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. That's what the text says. The effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And you might read that in the NIV or the ESV or some other translation, and the word order will be a little bit different. That's because in the Greek translation or in the translation of the Greek, they're trying to figure out the best way to put together a the kind of two words that speak of the power of prayer. One word is simply strong, um, like prayer is strong, prayer is powerful. That's one of the words. And then the other word is um, a phrase that means just w while working, like when, when put into action. So when put into action, prayer is strong. 
that's the idea um, and can accomplish much. In fact, the word much is actually at the very beginning of the sentence to emphasize it. Like prayer is so strong that when put into action, much can happen by it. That prayer is actually a real way to make things happen in the world. It's a real cause of events to happen in this world. Prayer is powerful and it changes things. And James then follows that up in James chapter 5 with an an Old Testament illustration, an example from the Hebrew Scriptures. James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 then goes into the example of Elijah. Um, and Elijah lived in the 800s BC. Israel as a nation was in a state of apostasy. They were wandering from God, right? They were worshiping false gods, the gods of the nations around them and blending the worship of Yahweh with the worship of false gods. It was a terrible time. So God raised up a prophet, the prophet Elijah, to really call them back to loyalty to the covenant that God had made with the nation of Israel. And as part of that, God endowed Elijah with prophetic power. But here's the point that James makes from it. The point is, um, Elijah was just a normal human being, and he prayed, and look what happened. Eli uh, James 5, 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he was just a normal human being. There was not, he, like, he, wasn't, he wasn't a super being, right? He didn't have superpowers. He was just a normal, ordinary human being. He was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So prayer is powerful. It accomplishes much. Here's an example, an example of Elijah. Look, he prayed and he stopped the rain. And then he prayed again. And guess what? It rained. Like, wow, that's how powerful prayer is. And yet, if you're like me, I look at the example of Elijah and I'm like, man, that's nice for Elijah and all, but I've never been able to stop the rain. And the fact is, is when I was a little boy, I tried. I grew up in Tacoma, Washington. And if you're familiar with Tacoma, Washington, it rains a lot in Tacoma, Washington. And my grandpa would plan a fishing trip and I would always be worried that we might get rained out. So I would always pray for the Lord to make sure it didn't rain and to stop the rain. And I had a lot of fishing trips in the rain or fishing trips that got canceled because of the rain. And so, you know, it's nice for Elijah that he managed to pray and stop the rain, but it didn't always work for me. My guess is it probably hasn't worked for you very often either. And not only that, as I got older, right, my faith in Jesus got deeper, my walk with God got more real, I've prayed about plenty of other things, things that were like deeply, deeply meaningful to my heart, like deeply important, um, things that, as best as I could tell, seemed in sync with the will of God, I've prayed and prayed and prayed. I've even prayed and fasted sometimes. And God didn't do what I asked. And I think we need to be honest about that. Like, it is, it is safe and acceptable to raise our hand in a group of Christians and say, yes, I believe that prayer changes things. Yes, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe it with all my heart. That's safe and acceptable. It's not quite as safe and acceptable to say, sometimes I get discouraged and wonder if prayer actually makes a difference because, man, I feel like I've been praying and the Lord hasn't been listening and doing what I ask him to do. And we need to be honest about that. 
Um, prayer, as James says, is powerful, but God doesn't always do what we want him to do. He doesn't always uh, answer our prayers. So let's just reflect for a few minutes together on that topic, on that issue. Um, and I want to just kind of explore how we should think about that biblically and experientially. And so the first thing we need to do is look at what James says here. He gives a biblical example to really bolster our faith in prayer, to give us confidence. He gives us the example of Elijah. And we could look at plenty of other things out of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, examples from Scripture and teachings of Scripture that remind us that God indeed hears our prayers and God indeed answers our prayers, whether it's Elijah or it's Hezekiah praying and God adding 15 years to his life, or whether it's the church praying in Acts chapter 12 and then God sending an angel to break Peter out of prison, right? Like an angelic jailbreak in Acts chapter 12. That's a pretty good answer to prayer. Uh, and, and, and ironically, when Peter actually goes to where the church is praying, they're praying, and they at first don't believe that God actually answered their prayer and that he broke Peter out of jail, but God did that, all right? So we could, we could look at plenty of examples from Scripture. We could look at the teachings of Scripture, the promises in Scripture about God hearing and answering prayer. God does that. God hears and answers prayer. The Scriptures repeatedly affirm that, and so if we're going to really have a full biblical worldview— what we need to make sure is that we recognize the Bible affirms that we live in a supernatural world and that the, the, the veil or the wall or whatever you want to call it between God's realm and our realm, the spiritual realm, heaven in the biblical language, where God dwells, and earth where we dwell, that the wall between that is not a thick wall. It's a thin wall. It's got doors in it and windows in it. And God can step through that wall anytime he wants to. He could reach through and act in this world anytime he wants to. That's the biblical worldview. That's what the scriptures both envision. They picture that with stories and examples. And that's what the, they teach with promises and uh, exhortations to pray. And so God is interactive with this world. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's not out there. He's present to this world. And he can... He can intervene and, and act within this world anytime he wants to. That's the consistent uh, teaching and picture of Scripture. That's a biblical worldview. So we have to affirm that. Not only that, as we've said, we say we believe that God answers prayer, and we can look back over our life, and we could probably recall some specific answered prayers. I think we should write these things down. I think we should commemorate uh, moments where God really steps up in a big way and demonstrates his care and his concern for us. Yes, there's all the little ways, and we can remember those too, and we can write those things down. But the big ones too, we just should, so that when we're discouraged or when it seems like heaven is silent, we can remind ourselves, heaven might be silent right now, but back then God did this and here he did that. And some way to commemorate those, uh, like the standing stones of the Old Testament, right? And some of those for my family, here's one. Um, there was a time where my wife and I used to have college students over virtually every Tuesday evening for dinner. We had them over every Tuesday for a period of two years. We then had them over uh, on Tuesday evenings every other Tuesday for the next two years. So for about four years, we had tons of college students in our house on a regular basis. 
basis. We also had them at other times as well, not just on Tuesday evenings. Uh, and we, on average, had 25 to 30 college students every Tuesday. It was jam-packed, right? And after doing that for uh, four years, our couches were ruined. <laughs> uh, and we needed new couches. But we had small kids. We were working for a small Bible college. We didn't have much money. We looked at all the used um, couches we could find, and they were all more than we could afford. And so my wife and I sat down on a Saturday night, and we prayed, Lord, we need new couches, uh, but we only have about $50 to spend. The next morning, literally the next morning, I get a phone call from my mom. Hi, son. I'm getting transferred on my job to Nashville. We want to downsize before we move. We've got a bunch of furniture we're getting rid of. Do you need new couches? And literally, that's what she asked. And, and she said, because if you and your brother want to come up here, you can have some couches. We got some patio furniture and some other stuff as well. My brother and I borrowed a truck and a trailer. We drove up to uh, Tacoma, Washington, nine hours away. And we, she gave uh, my wife and I some couches and some other furniture. She gave my brother and his wife uh, some furniture. We drove back and between gas and food, it was about $50. And the Lord answered our prayer. Not only did we get couches, we got a china hutch. We got some patio furniture out of the deal, like more than what we asked for. It's a pretty amazing and clear answer to prayer, right? God does this stuff. And we need to remember these things. There was a time when my son and I, my son was about nine or 10 years old. We were fishing up on the river um, out, out of town. We were a long ways on this dirt road back in the middle of nowhere, no cell coverage, uh, no people. We were 30 miles off the highway. Like we were, it was remote and we had fished and we had camped overnight, got up the next morning and we had borrowed a pickup truck. And when we got up in the morning, the truck had a flat tire. No problem. I'll just put the spare on. Well, the problem was it, it was a borrowed truck with uh, not stock tires, oversized tires. And I go to get uh, out the spare tire and the um, jack and the lug wrench and the lug wrench no longer fits the lug nuts on these non-stock tires. I can't change the tire because I can't get the lug bolts off. And we're like, it's a Tuesday morning and we're like in the middle of nowhere. And so I tell my son, Lord, son, all we, all we can do is pray. And so we pray, Lord, we need help. We need a car to come by and rescue us. Or the best option would be a truck to come by with a lug wrench that fits our, our lug nuts. And we prayed. I sent my son to go get a bucket of water from the river so he could douse the fire and begin to break camp and get ready to leave. And literally, as he was down getting the water, the only truck we saw all day drove by our campsite. And I flagged it down. It pulled in. And I said, hey, here's our situation. We got a flat tire. Can you help us out? He pulled out his lug wrench and it fit our lug nuts. And we changed uh, the, the tire, put the spare on, packed up our stuff, fished our way out and had a great day. That's a pretty dramatic and clear answer to prayer. There's plenty of these sorts of things in the course of my life. And I'm sure you could recount some of these same sorts of things. And I think we need to remember those. We need to have ways of commemorating those. We have some plaques in our 
uh, family room at home where the, the header simply says, celebrate God's goodness. And then it's got uh, 10 small little spots where we can put these things on there to remind us of God doing good things in our life, providing for us or uh, blessing us with grandchildren or uh, people that we love and pray for for years getting baptized or whatever else it might be to commemorate God's answers as a way to celebrate what God has done. Whether it's a journal, whether it's a plaque, we need to do that to remind ourselves that indeed God answers prayer. But the fact also is, as we know, and if we're honest, God doesn't always answer our prayer. So scripture and experience tells us God's involved in our life, God cares, and God answers. But experience also is what causes us to wonder sometimes, right? And experience also causes us what to doubt and be discouraged. Like, God, do you even care? Are you even listening? Like, Lord, this, this is so important. Where are you? And the heavens seem silent. And sometimes experience says, man, where is God? So let's reflect on that as well. Um, is it possible that God not granting what we ask for could actually be a good thing? Is it ever possible that God might have good reasons for denying our requests? Is it possible that God might know more than we know and his purposes and what he knows requires saying no to us, right? And, and it's hard to see that sometimes until we get far enough down the road to look back and we realize, oh, now I see what God was up to. You know, classic example of Jim Elliott and the other four missionaries who were killed in, the, uh, in 1956 in, in trying to reach the Hurani Indians, right? Like um, they had prayed and fasted and worked and prayed and prayed and some more and fasted some more. And it seemed like the Lord was opening the door. And then their first real contact with the Indians, the Indians killed them all. And it's like, Lord, like it seemed like you had opened this door. We worked and we prayed. The Indians seemed friendly and gracious to us. And then look what happens. And, and, and it seemed uh, like God just abandoned them. Until you get further down, you know, in history and you look back at the story and as you look back at the story, and if you're not familiar with the story, you should read the story uh, like in Through Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife. And uh, in the shadow of the Almighty, really the, um, the kind of the journal writings and letters of Jim Elliot, but Through Gates of Splendor tells the, the whole story. Then even when you get further down the line and you, you get to looking back from decades after the fact, all of a sudden you realize, oh, yes, what a, what a painful experience for five missionary wives to lose their husband and missionary kids to, to lose their dads. What a painful experience. But God used that event to eventually allow Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, Rachel Saint, Nate Saint's sister, to come and move in among the very tribe that had killed their brother and their husband um, and... Uh, eventually, in the course of time, virtually the whole tribe came to faith in Christ, began instead of warring with the downriver tribes that they used to war with and fight with and kill, uh, began to share the gospel with them, and God used it in a real transformative and powerful sort of way. So um, God didn't grant their actual request, but he, he did grant their ultimate request. Uh, Tim Keller um, says this about prayer. He actually says that the first time he learned this lesson was when he was in college. 
He was dating a gal that he thought would be perfect to be his wife, perfect for a ministry partner. She loved the Lord. She had the the right skills. She seemed like a perfect complement for ministry for him. So he prayed, Lord, Lord, um, just let her marry me. She's perfect for um, our service to you together. And within very shortly thereafter, she she breaks up with him. And Tim Keller's like, ha, right? But then. He meets Kathy, who became his wife, and looking back years later is like, Kathy was way more perfect than the other gal. And Tim Keller says, here's what I've learned over the course of my life. Beginning with that experience and all throughout my life, Tim Keller says this, God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. Um. And there's just a lot of wisdom in that, that God knows more than we know. And he knows what ultimately is best for us and best for his purposes. And one of the things that strikes me about the example of Elijah in uh, James chapter 5 is, yes, he had a nature like ours, but maybe his allegiance was different than ours. We're so often interested in our best interest, not always in God's purposes. And so Elijah He was a prophet that was completely aligned with the purpose of God. And so whatever God wanted, he was going to do. And and I think that's something that God wants to teach us sometimes by not answering our prayers. Will you trust me? Will you submit to me? Are my purposes more important than your comfort and your ease and your pleasure? I remember when I was in college for a period of about six months, praying, 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 and the Lord being silent, like for six months, month after month, never seeing an answer to prayer. And I began to wonder, God. And yet after six months, there was a kind of a breakdown on my part. And I finally just poured out my heart to God, cried out to him and said, God, if you never answer another prayer in my life, I will still trust you. And that seemed like the moment God was trying to lead me to and the lesson he was trying to teach because it wasn't long after that, all of a sudden I began to see some answers to prayers I've been praying for those six months and heaven had seemed silent. And I think that's where God wants to drive us to. He wants us to remember that prayer isn't magic, right? We go through the right chant, the right formula, the right incantation, we say the right words and, you know, we act spiritual enough and boom, we're going to get whatever we want. Prayer is not magic and it's not a vending machine in the sky where you put in the right money and you punch the right button and you automatically get what you ordered. Prayer is not magic, and it's not a vending machine. Prayer is personal. Prayer is deeply relational. It's about walking with God and uh, trusting Him. And the question then for us is, is God trustworthy? If He doesn't do something we ask, could there be good reasons for it? it? could Could God be working on it? It's just taking a while, right? Like, Can we trust God when his silence doesn't make sense because we know from the times he has answered our prayer and what scripture teaches that God is ultimately trustworthy? And again, the ultimate example of this is the person of Jesus, right? It's the night before he's going to be crucified. He he in his heart as a human being does not want to go through with it. It's just he's, he's looking at it and it just causes deep turmoil and anxiety within his heart, according to the scriptures. And there's Jesus on that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, praying earnestly, right? Uh, blood mingling with his sweat as he prays through the distress of this, pouring out his heart. God, if possible, take this cup from me. Don't let me have to do this. Is there any other way? And God 
God said, no, there's no other way. The cross is necessary. And Jesus was prepared for that because he completely trusted God. And so how did he follow up his request? God, if possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And that's the ultimate pattern. That's the posture uh, that we need in our praying. Uh, that to save the world, God had to refuse Jesus' request. Only to really answer Jesus' deepest and desire, his heart's desire in a, in a better way, right? Like three days after the crucifixion, uh, we're going to celebrate in just a couple weeks the resurrection. Um, and that's what Jesus wanted too. He just didn't want to have to go through the cross to get there because it was painful. But he, he, ultimately what he wanted more than anything else was the will of God. His, he was, his allegiance was to the purposes and will of God. And Jesus knew that God is always good and always wise. And so he trusted him. He trusted him. And that's really uh, where we're at as well. Scripture tells us God answers prayer. Experience tells us God answers prayer. But experience also says he doesn't always answer prayer, at least the way we want. Will we be so loyal to his purposes and his will that we can pray Believing what James says here in James 5, that the effective prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman accomplishes much. And so we pray and we watch and we ask. We swing for the fence if necessary, right? Uh, we, we pray expectantly, hoping and watching to see how God is going to answer. And sometimes he answers right away. Sometimes it might be a while. Sometimes he doesn't answer at all, but he does something that's like, that's what I would have asked for if I knew everything that God knows. And so we trust him with our life. And that's really what it means to pray, believing that God is powerful, that prayer changes things, and that the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I pray that you walk with God this week, that you pour out your heart to God. You share your dreams, your hopes, your needs, your thanks, your gratitude, and your praise to God as you seek his face, watching how he cares for you. Because God is good, and God is wise, and he really does care for you. God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again next week.